0: What's good everyone? Welcome back to the Bucks Film Room podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sampson, and you can find me on Twitter at Bucks Film Room. I write about the Milwaukee Bucks for Brewhoop and Forbes Sports. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, wherever else you listen to podcasts, just search for the Brewhoop feed, and then you can find this podcast under there as well. I'm also proud to announce a new partnership that I have with Beeball Index. You can subscribe to their data and tools package that includes 21 spreadsheets, including grades for every single player. You can compare player versus player, year versus year, and even across different positions. You can also use their free agency hub to see if someone like Eric Bledsoe will return positive or negative value over the life of his contract extension with the Bucks. It's great for fans and it's certainly a lot of fun. It's also only $5 a month to subscribe and now you can get 15% off by using the coupon code BUCKSFILMROOM. Just go to bball-index.com and you can subscribe to their data and tools package for only $5 a month. Enter in the promo code BUCKSFILMROOM all lowercase and all one word and you'll get 15% off. We'll be using some of those player grades in this episode and in future podcasts as well. So last week, we began individual player, I guess previews, not reviews, previews, and I talked about Twitter's favorite buck, DJ Wilson. Today, we're going to stick with that same format, and I'm actually going to break down Kyle Korver, the newest member of the Milwaukee Bucks. Corver and the Bucks agreed to a one-year deal worth the veterans minimum, and so we're going to take a look at his strengths, his weaknesses, and then also the best and worst case scenario for Corver in the upcoming season. Also, I did a nice little breakdown uh, about Kyle Corver um, for Brew Hoop. It was in an article. It dropped on Monday where I went through different areas of his game where I think that he can actually contribute outside of the obvious three point shooting. So definitely peep that as there are video examples in there as well and things that I necessarily won't be able to, I'll do my best to describe on here, but also the videos are always great to help. I mean, this is Buck's film room after all. So let's just begin with the basics. Korver is entering his 17th season after being drafted the 51st overall pick way back in the 2003 NBA draft, and in that time he's played for the 76ers, the Hawks, the Jazz, Bulls, and Cavaliers, and now he's on to Milwaukee. Last season he averaged 8.6 points per game, 2.3 rebounds, and 1.2 assists while shooting 39.7% from downtown. And although that 39.7% might be career years, I mean, people, we would die if Eric Bledsoe came anywhere close to sniff 39.7, we would be ecstatic. So even though that might be career years for most of the league, it was actually a down season for Corver, whose career average is 42.9%. So let's... Tip this off and begin on the positive side. We always like positives, we like to talk about the bright side. So, let's talk about his strengths. Now let's just get this one out of the way his outside shooting. Last year, Budenholzer really implemented this five out system in Milwaukee where he expected his players to fill five spots on the perimeter, and those five spots are the two corners, the two wings, and the top of the key. So, that's really was a staple of Budenholzer's offense last year, and that allowed the Bucks to really maximize not only Giannis and his ability to get to the rim, but Eric Bledsoe. Bledsoe was a stud around the hoop last year. We saw Brogdon driving the ball more, even though he'll be gone uh, this year. But it really just helped spread the floor. But in order to make that effective, then you need shooters to fill those spots. And Korver is definitely a shooter. He's one of the best, not just in the game today at 38 years old, but the best all time. He's one of the best all-time shooters. Uh, he made forty point three percent of his catch and shoot threes last year. That's just terrific. He will pull his defender. He has so much gravity. You know, in the postseason, especially in the Eastern Conference Finals, we saw the Raptors disrespecting Bledsoe on the perimeter. We also saw them disrespecting kind of just just about anyone not named Chris Middleton. So. Corver not saying that if they're in that situation next year would get huge minutes or any minutes, but he'd be a guy that Milwaukee could put out on the court that could really draw someone away, draw the defender out of the paint and open that up and make life a little easier for Giannis instead of having to go one versus three, one versus four. So that outside shooting, that's the that was the main attraction for why why the Bucks wanted Corver. Um, and to go along with that, I mean that's not. To be fair to Korver, he's worked really hard on his game. You don't play in the NBA for 16 seasons by just being a one-trick pony. And so he, he has a quick release. You know, he can get that shot off anywhere. Last year... Malcolm Brogdon was ended up being a 40% three-point shooter, but his attempts were really low. Korver doesn't have that same issue. He really can be a guy who can get a shot off in tight spaces. He's got a quick release, and he's also 6'7". I think that's kind of an afterthought. Is 6'7", that's solid for someone who spends a lot of time as shooting guard and a small forward, so he's not one of these undersized gunners. He's 6'7". He can shoot over some of the smaller players, but he's really savvy at, at getting getting open. He does a great job of, you know, he's not going to be a guy who can just run away or uses elite agility, which he doesn't have to create separation. So he does a great job of using his body and really creating that separation in a legal way, using screens, using savvy tricks to to get open on the perimeter. And then he just needs that split second where, you know, he just can take advantage of that real quick. So that really, that quick release, I think is something that's underrated will be really you'll be surprised uh, Bucks fans once you see him in a game how little space he actually needs to get it off. He's also amazing in his footwork. You know, coaches they teach at every level that you should square up not only your feet but your shoulders with the hoop. That helps keep your whole shot in line with the basket and when you're moving at quick paces or on those quick catch and shoot that really keeps your whole body aligned with the hoop and keeps those mechanics in tight. And that's something that he is really, really good at is whether it's a catch and shoot or he's also amazing at one dribble pull-ups. He does a great job of just using one dribble to create that extra separation. And he still, whether it's hopping backward to the three-point line, to the side, whatever, does a great job of keeping his body lined up with a hoop. Um, and of course, you know, he earned an A in his outside shooting grade from B-ball index. I don't think that's a surprise to anyone, but that just kind of... That's an analytical way for us to verify what we see as far as if the three point shooting in our eyes weren't enough, that A grade and outside shooting from B ball index. Let's talk a little bit more about his one dribble pull ups, because that's an, as I was going through the film, that was something that kind of stuck out to me. You know, it's not pull ups, people think like, bringing the ball up the floor, trying to take your man one-on-one, trying to create that separation, something like James Harden might do or a Kemba Walker. And that's not necessarily what it means in this context. Pull-ups in this context doesn't mean Korver's trying to, you know, it's a clear out where he has his man on top of the key and he's taking his guy one-on-one. No, for Korver, it's if his off-ball movement did not create enough space, he'll use a a very savvy, I mean, that's just the best way to explain it, this real savvy dribble, like to continue his momentum to the right or whatever, whichever direction it is, he'll use this one dribble, get his feet set, create that little extra room between himself and the defender, and then rise and fire. He actually hit 49.3% of his pull-ups from downtown, um, and that's after only one dribble. So if he took one dribble, he made 49.3% of his pull-ups, just to be clear on that. And I think that is huge. You know, he took most of his shots off of either catch and shoots or those one dribble pull-ups. He only had 19 shots last season, where 19 threes, I should clarify. He only had 19 threes last season where he took two or more dribbles. And for comparison, he had 67 threes where he took one dribble and 252 threes where he took zero dribbles. So, that just kind of tells you a little bit about him, and he'll keep that ball movement, which is what that ball moving, which is what Budenholzer wants. You know, it's not going to get stuck in his hands. And speaking of, of that playmaking, passing, I'm going to put passing in the strengths category. I can hear some of you guys already. I mean, he's averaged 1.7 assists throughout his career, which definitely does not scream somebody who is a great passer or a good passer or maybe even an average passer, but, and maybe, maybe passing isn't the right word. Maybe it's more accurate to say his offensive, well, his basketball IQ in general, um specifically his offensive basketball IQ and his understanding of how to read basic defenses and his understanding of how great a shooter he really is. And, how that affects defenses, how they gravitate toward him. So maybe that's the more accurate way to, to term it in the strengths category is That is that basketball IQ. He I have this these three clips laid out in the Bucks article um on Brewhoop or the Corver article on Brewhoop where it's three identical plays three separate times. The first the first one is uh well all three are dribble handoffs from Jay Crowder, and then Derek Favor sets a screen at the top of the key with Korver taking one dribble after the dribble handoff. And in the first clip, the big man sinks low off of the favors screen so he doesn't step up, and that gives Korver an uh, open space off of one dribble, and he pulls up. I mean, his man's right there with him, but it's still that one dribble, pull up. The big man didn't step up, and he drains the three. On the next clip, it was actually against the same team. Same setup, Jay Crowder brings the ball up the center of the floor, dribble handoff with Corver on the wing, Favor sets that screen at the top of the key. This time, the big man does step up, and as he steps up, Corver I mean it's not the prettiest of plays but he drops in this nice little nifty pass into the vacated area where Favors man uh, just left and so Corvid drops his pass in there Favor catches it on the run one two and this monster's dunk. And then the third the third clip is same setup Crowder brings it up just like before he Dribble, handoff to Corver. Favors sets a screen in the top of the key, uh, but this time Joe Ingles is in the weak side corner, so the opposite corner of where Corver is driving toward. So Corver, the big man, steps up who is guarding Favors to prevent Corver from taking that three. In- Joe Ingles' man drops down to take away the rolling Favors to the hoop. What does Corver do? He takes a second to recognize what's going on, whips an overhead pass to the vacated corner to Ingles, and he drains that three. So really just kind of gives you a demonstration of how he can read the basic defensive rotations and make the right play, which I think, you know, people might expect most NBA players to do so, but it's easier said than done. And it's also a huge asset when one of the best three-point shooters in the history of the league can make those reads and make the right play instead of trying to force a shot up or trying to create something that isn't there because as we'll talk about in the weaknesses, Corver is not a creator. Um so I think that's just something that's really nice to see that passing from him and that ability. The other or the last strength I want to talk about is his communication on defense. Um it may seem weird to talk about Corver. I mean we all know I think the average fan and if not we'll discuss it here in a second the average fan understands that at 38 years old probably no matter who you are you don't have a inability or really any ability to defend nba caliber players and especially korver who's never been the most athletic who's never had the most lateral quickness you know he's going to be a liability in that end but as far as a strength it's that ability to communicate on defense he's always talking to his who, to his team Telling his teammates where he's at, what help side position he's at, if he's going to switch, if you know, if they're fighting through screens, and so that communication on defense is huge. Um, for those of you who may have not never played basketball, but basketball is a communication sport at the highest level the greatest teams are always talking 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 they're everyone's talking they're moving you know together and in order to move together you got to know where each other is you got to know where your help side is you got to know if there's a screen coming you got to know all of this all of these different things and so that communication and that leadership when he's on the floor will go a long way and will be a huge asset for the bucks you know I think that will really help their team when he's on the floor. All right, so let's jump into weaknesses. I just talked a little bit about it, but he's not a creator. Cover is not somebody who you know, you can spread the floor, run a pick and roll with. He can't take his man off the bounce. No way, no how. But nobody expects him to do that. He's not going to be asked to do that. He's going to be asked to fill a corner, to fill a spot in the perimeter Catch and shoot. Um, but that's just not something that the Bucs can expect from him. And I, I I bring that up because they lost Brogdon, who was great at creating, who was really good at getting to the hoop and finishing around the basket. And that's something that I don't think they've replenished yet this offseason. I don't think they will. Um it's a skill that's hard to find. And Wes Matthews and Corver are kind of those replacements for uh, Brogdon as far as external options, and neither one of those guys is going to be that guy. Corver certainly is not. Sterling Brown probably is not going to be that guy. Same goes with DiVincenzo or Pat Connaughton. Um So that's just a weakness of Corver's game where he's not going to be that creator. He's not that guy who can go and get his own bucket. He definitely will rely on others, and so we'll have to see... You know how that part plays out when he's on the floor, but at, at the same time, not being a creator is a weakness, but drawing his man 24 feet away from the basket is definitely a strength. Um speaking staying on offense, fit his finishing is kind of goes with it. You know, he's actually a decent finisher, but he just never gets to the rim. And if he does get to the rim, something went horribly wrong for the defense because he's not going to beat anyone off the dribble. I mean, he won't even beat my grandma off the dribble. So it's well, maybe my grandma, but I think you get the point. So if he gets to the rim, he finishes at a pretty good clip, but that's because something went horribly wrong for the defense. Otherwise, he almost never gets to the hoop. We're talking like 7% or less or fewer of his shots, according to cleaning the glass, is is 7% or fewer of his total shots that come around the rim. So that's just not going to happen. Individual defense is his biggest weakness and We can throw... Yeah, so individual defense is his biggest weakness. He just... You don't want him on an island against anyone other teams will definitely try to target him other teams will definitely try to pick him out and go after him which could end up being an issue you know he's just at this point his career doesn't have the lateral quickness it looks like he has cement blocks on his feet when he's trying to move he gets put on skates you know all that stuff that you'd expect with somebody at his advanced age um but i think that's just the biggest worry that was pointed out um something that the Bucks are gonna to have to work on. I, I think I think it will work out a limited amount of minutes. Um because Milwaukee has all the personnel to hide Corver on defense. If the other team has an offensive guy who's not able to create, if they don't have five offensive creators, they could put Corver on there. Uh both both Brooke and Robin Lopez, depending on which one's on the floor, can can protect the rim if he if he gets beat Giannis will be there to protect the rim I think that's something that it will help Milwaukee and will allow this this pairing to work for the limited time that Corver gets on the on the court it's something that you know they have multiple shot blockers and Giannis and Brooke and Robin who can help make out and who can help cover up for him and and Lopez and one of the Lopez's and Giannis might be on the court at the same time. So you got two guys right there who can help cover up. So I think that will that'll be helpful and And Milwaukee also has other excellent perimeter defenders. You know, you throw a lineup of Bledsoe, Middleton, Korver, Giannis, and Brooke, and you got four plus defenders. You know, you got Bledsoe who made first team all defense. Giannis, we know he's a defensive player of the year candidate. Brooke, you know, he's a great defensive player. And Middleton, he's a good wing defender as well, the best wing defender Milwaukee has. So, you could put four plus defenders on the court with Korver. You could slide Hill in there for Bledsoe. That's another plus defender. Sterling Brown, he's an active defender so I think they have different options where they can definitely try to hide him and just surround him with other plus defensive talent however there will definitely be situations where he will just be unplayable that's just how it is there'll be situations times in the game line other lineups that the the other teams running out where Corva just just can't make it work if the other team is going to attack him all right, well, let's take a quick pause here and then we'll return and talk about the best and the worst case scenarios for Corver next season. All right, so the best case scenario, well, the best case scenario for the Bucks and the best case scenario for Corver, they might be two different scenarios. Um you know, if he ends up having to play a lot, that might be good for Corver, but might not be good for the Bucks as a team. I think ideally, ideally, oh, I would say like Corver plays between like 60, 70 games max, 60 to 70 games max and averages 15 to 20 minutes max per game. Maybe more like 70 games and 15 minutes, um, maybe fewer minutes than that. It's kind of hard to say, but I think if he can just stay healthy, they can rest him throughout the year, and they don't play him a ton of minutes because I think they have other guys. It's kind of like this balance. They want to see what Sterling Brown is made out of. They want to see what DiVincenzo is made out of. They want to see what Pat Connaughton is made out of, and if Corver is trending toward that 20-minute mark or even even maybe the 15-minute mark, maybe that might be too high, but if he's trending up there, that means those other guys are getting fewer opportunities, and that means the Bucks, you know, because Connaughton's going to be a free agent, Sterling's going to be a free agent, they might need one of those guys beyond next year. And so I think the more minutes, if we're getting up into that 20-minute mark, that'll be the absolute max. I, Corver will not play more than 20 minutes a game next season. But if that's happening, something went wrong for the Bucs, where there there are other injuries that force him into that playing time. But I think, yeah, 60 minutes, 15, 60 games, 15 minutes, that might be like, ideal for Korver. Um He hits two to three, threes a game on five to six attempts. So he keeps that percentage, gets it back to 40, 42, 43, where his career average is. I think that would be great. I don't think we're going to see, you know, him shooting this absurd percentage from three-point line. Like, well, I guess, I mean, so last year he shot 39.7 percent. two thousand. 16, 17, he shot 45%. So that was just a couple of years ago. So maybe he has that in him, but I think a more realistic best case scenario would be like right at his career average of 42, 43%. And in doing so, he occupies one defender at all times and that opens up the lane even more for Giannis and for Bledsoe. We talk about Giannis being this elite driver, but Bledsoe is right up there with him. And especially with Bledsoe's combination of strength and elite quickness and an inconsistent three-point shot, it might give him more opportunities to make an impact on offense if he's playing alongside an elite shooter like Korver. I mean, you give Korver's man sticks to him, that creates more room for everybody in that lane. And maybe it opens up more opportunities for drives um, to replace those drives that Brogdon has vacated. So I think, you know, that's really offensively the top of the mountain for Korver himself. 15 minutes, 60-ish games, hit, hitting two to three threes a game, right around that 43% mark. I think that would be amazing. That'd be exactly what the Bucks brought him in for. He'd be doing his job. I think that would be perfectly, be perfect. On the other end of the court, the Bucks are able to figure out a way to hide him on defense. I mean, they're, that's probably as good as it gets. He's not going to become even close to something like an average defender. He's always going to be a negative there as far as at this point in his career. And so I think best case is the Bucks are able to hide him. They're able to put him on guys who are non-threats, um, put him on somebody like a Tony Snell when you play the Pistons. No offense, Tony, but you put him on somebody like that and 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 when he does mess up cuz even Snell is is maybe lacking in his playmaking as Snell is even he could get past Corver and so if if that happens people like that happen um a guy like Giannis or Brooke Lopez or Robin Lopez is able to pick up the slack or Ursan's even able to take a charge behind him. I mean, that's as good as a block, right? They get the ball back, turnover, foul, you know, that's good. So I think that's best case scenario for and for Milwaukee, is that they're able to effectively hide him for that time that he's on the floor and that they don't need him for long stretches. I think that's, I shouldn't say long stretches. They don't need him to play high a high minute total. Maybe he can come in at the end of games if they need to, you know, a barrage of three pointers. But generally, he's not closing games. They have their guys at the wings who could potentially do that. And so, I think just defensively, they're able to hide him. Giannis Lopez or the LoPi brother are able to pick up the slack and really take it from there and and make Corver really. So we don't have to hear his name much on the broadcast. I think that would be the best for everybody in Milwaukee, at least. All right, so. The last thing we're going to go through is the worst-case scenario. So what happens if this signing just completely blows up in Milwaukee's face? Offensively, a worst-case scenario, a worst realistic scenario for Korver, and we're assuming health here. We're not talking about injuries or anything like that. But worst-case scenario for Corver would be that his three-point shooting hits another decline. That's something that we have to talk about at this point you know there's a reason people aren't able to play in the nba as they old as they get older they lose their legs and that could affect his three-point shot so he shot 36 or 43.6 percent in 2017-18 that dropped about three and a half percentage points roughly to 39.7 last year. So I think worst case we're talking here, if it drops another couple of percentage points, if Corver is just around that 36, 37 percent three-point shooting, um, which would be close to a career low for him. I, I think his career low was 37.5 percent back in 2007, 2008. So that would be worst case for Corver. And I mean, wouldn't, Wouldn't that be great? I mean, Korver's worst case scenario, 36-37%, is about league average. That would be like best case scenario for Eric Bledsoe, 36-37%. So even at Korver's worst, he's better than the average player. So I just, I mean, again, a reminder of how great of a shooter he is. But I think that would be, you know, three-point shooting hits that decline. He becomes only an average shooter. The gravity that Milwaukee is hoping for doesn't happen and they, he isn't able to pull a man away from the hoop on a consistent basis. So offensively, I think that's the biggest thing. Uh, defensively, Milwaukee's unable to hide him. He's too big of a liability. He's too big of a weakness. Other teams target him constantly, and he just isn't able to give up any line of defense. Guys go right by him, um, and the Bucks can't hide him. You know, Giannis can't get there quick enough, or maybe Giannis is tied up in a different in a different assignment lopez is, is tied up in a different assignment and, and milwaukee can't 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 hide him can't make up for him i think that would be the worst case scenario i'm i'm i would guess just a guess that that is confident you know he's played with corver before uh, or he's coached corver before and he he has some ideas on how to make that work so i think that would be worst case scenario is milwaukee just takes this huge step down defensively and they aren't able to step down defensively when he's on the floor I should say well that's all that I have for you today folks thanks for tuning in and don't forget you can follow me on twitter at Bucks Room I hope to catch you next time